I'm probably going to say it during the show too. Huh? Because, because, I mean, ha. You call it unicorn? You, yeah, un, unicorn, I think is what I'm saying. I'm trying to say unicode. I cannot. Well, mm. that might come back up. <laughs> probably. And I think it's because I'm like, I'm, my brain's trying to think how I want to say the bitty, bye die. Oh, yeah. Bye, yeah, bye die, I bye guess die. is probably what it is, but. Uh, bidet. And so, so my know. brain just totally blanks out on Unicode. It's like bidet, but but I. Exactly. Okay. Can you not see that? What is in front of that? I couldn't get is... Discord to. Oh, that's my monkey. Have you seen my monkey? <laughs> yeah. Coming up in this episode of Linux User Space, we'll do some IP peaking. We'll install with Flutter. Got EdgeWatch, Mozilla Watch, BraveWatch, and fragmented downloads. And welcome to Linux User Space. I'm Dan. And I'm Leo. So, Leo, I know um, mm -hmm. you know your way around the command line, and you know a little bit about networking. So, you've, you've been, you've been kind of gathering some, I guess, suggestions for others to follow here in, in this space. So, th this is actually... Uh, so, I'm writing a blog post. That's, that's the long and short of it. I need to get some images to throw in there, and I'll publish it. But... The, the long and short of it is when I was just starting out in Linux, um, obviously I'm coming from a Windows world, and in Windows, to get IP addressing information, which includes your IP address, your default gateway, um, your uh, DNS IP addresses, and all that kind of stuff, it was one command, right? I mean, it, it was ipconfig slash all. That yeah, was the command. Everything, right? Yeah, just list right. it all right out there. Give me everything. Exactly, and it's formatted really well. Um, but it's not like that in Linux. Um, mm -hmm. There is a singular command that you can do. Uh, in MCLI Dev Show is, a, is, is the command that will give you very similar to what ipconfig slash all would give you in the Windows world. Right. But... That assumes you have the network manager installed, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. And not every system has that. Right. But... If you've been on Linux distributions, or if, if, if whatever Linux distribution that you're on was minted in 2014 or later, it's a good chance it's both on System D and has the new uh, IP uh, command right. that you can pretty much query yeah, everything with. So they've been around a while. They're, they're probably most everywhere you're, you're looking. Right. So back in the day, before all this stuff happened, you had to use ifconfig to mm -hmm. figure out your MAC address and IP address. You had to use, um, I think it was the word, I think it was just the command route to, right. yep. uh, route. to get uh, routing information, which would give you your default gateway. And then you had to go uh, reach into your resolve.conf file to figure out how your DNS was mm -hmm. configured. That's annoying. That's really annoying. <laughs> it's a lot of places to look for, you know, needing all of those network things right there at your fingertips. 
Right. And I get it. I mean, that's just the way Linux is. It's 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 very piecemeal. You put it all together and, you know, you you end up with a whole system. But I mean, for someone that was coming from I just had it all on one screen already. Yeah. Give it to me all on one screen. And MCLI takes care of that. But for systems without it, the the blog post really goes into a few of the commands that that you would want Mm -hmm. to just kind of remember. And the cool thing about the IP command is it's like a lot of uh, like network ne- network stack kind of CLIs where you can truncate every command down to like just a letter or a letter, two. Yeah. Oh man, from Cisco days. That's that's mm-hmm. how that was, right? I mean. Right. Anyway, but not getting into those weeds. Uh, two commands that you need to know: IP and Resolve Control. So here's the thing: I have heard, and I was one of them. Uh, people say, "Oh my goodness, have you seen the IP dash C A command?" Right. It's the new way to get your IP addressing information. Dan, have you run that command? Yes. It's gross. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is it is very I don't know. It feels disorganized. It's not in a nice table format or anything. You know, it's just yeah, all all one big line. It's like a run on sentence. Exactly. So I mean my I I'm going cross-eyed trying to read all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But um anyway, everybody loved it because it, the the dash C added color. Yeah. To the output. Color's a good touch. Right. Which which made that that uh, CLI vomit way easier to parse and and find some stuff. But there's a better way to do it. If you add the BR mm-hmm. option. So and by the way, these will all be in the show notes. You can literally copy yep. and paste them straight into your terminal and check them out and see how it works. It's really cool. Um and colorization totally depends on your color theme in your terminal. So right. you know, if you did some fancy color theme, it'll be that color too. So anyway. Uh, IP-BR-CA. So if you if you spend the extra few seconds to add the dash BR, mm-hmm. it it's it stands for brief, and it only gives you the information that you want. So in this case, right. it would be the IP address of all of the network interfaces in a nice table that's easily readable. So same options with L at the end will give you. Uh, so L stands for link. And I'm assuming it means data link, as in layer two on the OSI model. Yeah, so it's like a physical connection type link, if you will. Right. So, so you get MAC address right. information out of that particular one, which is fantastic. So, if you want to know your addresses, A. If you want to know your links, data link, your L. And ARP is also one of these commands that um, vanished, right? I mean, so I've config deprecated a long time ago, right. along with it. ARP and a lot of the network tools, so those are those are not installed in a lot of systems. So same options with N, which is short for neighbor, um, will show you your entire ARP table, which is fantastic when you're trying to get a gr- get a grip on what devices are on your network, what devices your computers talk to lately. And the last one of the IP ilk is uh, no brief this time, so it's just IP C R, which stands for route. Route. Yep. And and the, that first line there will tell you your default gateway. So IP, it's almost everything. It's 90% of everything that you would want. Your IP addresses, your MAC addresses, your uh, the people around you, and your default gateway. So yeah. IP does most of that for you. There's probably some cool trick with IP that I don't know of that uh, that will give you DNS, but I didn't find it. I'm not sure. I don't know about that personally. Right. And if you do, if you look in resolve.conf now, it it just it's the loopback. It's one twenty seven zero zero fifty three. Right, which is your your machine. Right, exactly. So there's not a real easy way to get a hold of that unless 
like I said, IP has some magic that I don't know about yet. But Resolve Control, so systems that live on System D will also ship with Resolve Control. So that's Resolve, R-E-S-O-L-V-E, C-T-L, all one word. And then if you just smack DNS at the end of it, so Resolve Control, space, DNS, it'll spit out uh, all of your DNS information. Which is really important because it's always DNS. Always. It's always, always. And I, I think back to when I worked at uh, a college campus mm-hmm. and we did a lot of static IP mm-hmm. addressing. And somehow, I don't know how, but sometimes the DNS would just not be there. And we're talking Windows boxes. So I don't know if Linux would have suffered from this or not, but it, it just would, they were just gone. Hmm. So I suspect it's because some users had uh, admin access on their machines. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe somehow they were like, well, the internet doesn't work. So then they started messing around with it. Or, delete these you know, and that'll make it go. Yeah, sure. I've, I read this on the internet um, and then it was gone. So anyway, but I come back and I put DNS back in there. Um, but as I was telling Dan before the show, the secret, though, in IT is that you always take a little bit longer than it actually takes, right? You rub your chin, you scratch your head, you click around a little bit, go to a few different, right? Exactly. <laughs> that motion. And you end up, uh, then you go fix the problem, right? Yeah. But then, but then, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you wipe your forehead like, oh, my gosh, that was the, that was the toughest problem I've seen all day. And that, my friend, is a recipe to get baked goods. Yes, which is fantastic. That's 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 great. I, I've I've encountered that myself, and I feel like you know you, you exploit that when you can. Oh yeah, of course, of course. So going oh. back to your system D <laughs> um, a little bit, even if you aren't using the uh, network um, system, you know the system D networking bits, I believe you can still use. Um, the network uh, CTL, the network control stuff, and LLDP, which also will discover your neighbors um, mm. if they advertise that. And so that's kind of a handy thing. Even if you're not using the network control, I believe that will still work because I've used that personally to find out, you know, what, what switch am I attached to? Right. And what switch port even, which is very handy mm. in, in my oh, network wow world. <laughs> we're gonna end up man we're gonna take this way too technical but I, this happened to me a couple of separate times luckily i was on cisco switches so i mm-hmm. was very very aware of i think something something neighbor as well in cisco yeah but yeah you use that to track down mac addresses on specific ports and mm-hmm. then if it if you're on like daisy chained switches right then y- you notice oh, okay well there's multiple mac addresses or there, there's uh yeah, I mean, a lot of different IP addresses on this MAC address or whatever. So I'm going to go to the next switch, and then we'll do the same thing. You, you either Telnet or SSH into one of those, which that came up uh, in Telegram as well, tele, uh, Telnet. Yep. Um, anyway, so yeah, you, you, you track it down doing all of this uh, neighbor jazz yes. and figure out which computer it is that's downloading so much, and so you unplug it from the wall. Right. right? <laughs> or just turn off the switch port, right? <laughs> yeah. Or like I said, if you're at the end user location and you want to know what switch port you're plugged into because mm. somehow that's on the wrong VLAN and you, you don't remember configuring that, you, you need to know what switch port that's plugged into because somebody in the closet did one of these, you know, switcheroo things. And now all right. of a sudden they're on, you know, the server network instead of, you know, their their end user network and, you know, whoopsie doodle. So, yep. yeah, you got to yep. sometimes you got to track that stuff down and that's that's the way to do it. Exactly. You know what? I, I can say with confidence that there's at least one user, one, one listener to the podcast that will enjoy us. That's Matthias. So, um, yeah, 
That was for you, man. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, so Leo, um, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but um, Ubuntu's announced they're coming out with a new installer. Maybe you've heard of, oh. heard of this. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Something about Flappy? Flappy? Yeah. Flappy Flappy Bird? Yeah. Is is that the one? Yeah. No, it's Flutter. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. But anyway, with an F. anyway they, they announced that a while ago, and I think we even talked about it. Um so Impish had some um, builds or, you know, um, that you could test on the dailies. Mm-hmm. The Canary builds is how they yep. called it, and, I think. And they've they've continued on in Jammy. Um, so uh, Jammy Jellyfish is, uh, you know, got this installer. If you want to go give it a test, we've got a link to the discourse post for Ubuntu. And uh, yeah, they're, they're encouraging people to go give it a spin and, and see see what uh, you find wrong or right or what you like or don't. And uh, I don't know. I've noticed, I, I looked at the post and I noticed some of the, some of the posters on there are typical, you know, Ubuntu test folk. And uh, mm-hmm. they've been, they've been highlighting some things. And I think uh, there are some known limitations and, but they do hope to get this uh, released uh, in, in the next uh, release, I I believe so. It'll be interesting to see where it comes along. You know what stood out to me about this particular... By the way, did you did you try it out? I have not tried it yet, personally, which is, I know, shocking. Let me tell you, and let me, let me forecast a little bit. Um, number one, the installer feels just like the last time I was on an Android phone. Yeah, well, I mean, Flutter is very uh-huh. Android-like, right? It, it, Flutter is a Google project, yeah. and uh, it, it's obvious... Once you start clicking around on that thing, think about it, right? You you mm-hmm. think about going into the settings and clicking on one of those options or something like that. Mm-hmm. And when you press it, right, it does that little, that water droplet kind of in the middle of a right. lake kind of thing, little right? Animation thingies, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. That exists in the Flutter installer, cool. and it it immediately transported me back to every Android device I have been on in the past few years. Cool. So the forecast part of it, by the way, the, the installer works fine if you're if you're not going out of your way to do something extremely funky. Right. Um, I did. Uh, I installed it. Um, I even tried it on a couple different hypervisors, too. I have uh, Hyper-V enabled on uh, my Windows 11 box and it installed very well. Uh, okay. I mean, I, I don't know uh, outside of making like a, a laundry list of partitions. Yeah. I think it, if you've got some crazy partitions going on, there's some limitations to that right. from what I've read. And that makes right. sense. I mean, those are the things, those are smaller groups of folks and you got to focus on the, on the big group first. So I get that. So, I mean, they're working right. their way outside and in, so that makes sense yeah. to me. And, and KVM, uh, via boxes worked okay. very well as well. And obviously virtual box worked just fine. So I guess, Here's the forecast, right? How much is Ubuntu going to lean on Flutter mm. for their ongoing development of their own applications? They've said, and I believe, um, a lot of those applications are, I guess, based on the results here, probably somewhat, right? They're mm-hmm. looking to move those applications over to Flutter. And that makes sense. Right. That makes sense to me. So in a few years, how much is Ubuntu going to resemble 
Android in mm. look and feel. I get it. You know, you're going to have the top bar, you're going to have the sidebar. It won't be Android, I know. But inside of these applications, as you click around, as you open up menus, as you click on buttons, it's going to feel very Android. That's not a bad look and feel. I, I don't dislike it at all, but I am, I am just curious where this is going to end up because GTK is not Android and the look and feel of those applications will be different. Mm -hmm. Is that a third player? Is that what we're calling this, maybe? Uh, so QT, GTK, and Flutter, is that, is that what you mean? Yeah. Well, then there's, uh, there's also the, the Solus Dev. What was yeah, the e EFL? E yeah, EFL, yes. I, I think that's, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, maybe? I mean, it, it's ob that, that's obviously where Ubuntu is aiming, mm -hmm. starting with the installer, which is a pretty integral piece of software, I think. It's the first thing you see, so it's yeah. you know, that first impression thing. Yeah, outside of automated deployments, you're going to see it. Right. So it's, it's pretty important, right? It makes first sense. First impressions are everything. So I guess uh, it, it, to be seen, how much is Ubuntu going to resemble Android in a couple of years as things get moved over to Flutter? <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good question. I'm, I can't, can't really forecast that for you. Oh no, no, nobody can. Uh, unless you're unless you're deep, deep on the inside of where Flutter, uh, how yeah. how it's going to be uh, used in Ubuntu or anything like that. But uh, yeah, I'm not that deep. <laughs> so, so that makes me wonder: Does that mean that Ubuntu Touch is going to end up resembling Android eventually? I don't know. Different people working on it, so true. Not sure. Or will there be another mobile operating? You know, will will somebody seize a hold of that and? You well, know. it's like Android images. There's like a million of them, right? So, I mean. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> but with more Linux on the back, back end available to you than, than Android is. I don't know. That's interesting. Yep. So, just released today. The announcement came out. Fedora 35. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. So oh, yeah. Congratulations to all the Fedora devs and everybody that contributes to Fedora for mm -hmm. another release because I know what those are like. That's excellent. Anyway, we'll link to the uh, uh, Fedora Magazine post um, mm -hmm. and we'll also link to what's new in, in, the, uh, in, in the show notes. Um, there's a lot new, honestly, and that's not too surprising, I don't think, Leo, because we've talked about this before as well. Fedora mm -hmm. kind of pushes the envelope on some of these things and uh, I have to say, some of some of them have me excited. Oh, well, I think what they do they're doing with ButterFS is probably the oh, thing yeah. that I'm kind of like. I really like what they've got going on. That's yeah. I, every every time I see it, I hone in on it. I mean, distros yeah. that that mm -hmm. that have it out of the box are way high up on my radar as opposed to those that don't. So and so, it's not new that they've switched by default, but they have made some improvements here, and that's the mm -hmm. part that really has me excited. Is they just keep making little iterative um, improvements on these things, and that's that's kind of exciting to see. Yeah, yeah. and the the main edition sports GNOME forty one, which has a lot of performance increases, which yeah. um, a, a quick test on the laptop. The forty was still a bit sluggish, mm -hmm. but forty one seemed to really patch over a lot of the a lot of the slowness that that I would encounter. I mean, just you know, as as big huge animations happen, uh, things can get a little chunky uh, mm -hmm. animation wise. But GNOME 41 seems to have smoothed a lot of that out. So, I'm, I that's mean, good. that's something I'm excited for. Yeah. Uh, that, is, that is pretty awesome. GNOME could use any of the performance helps that, you know, you can give it, I think. It is 
undoubtedly one of the heaviest uh, Linux uh, desktop environments. Um, Most used, good, too. Good, bad, or indifferent. That it is what it mm -hmm. is. And so, you know, any performance help that you can give it, I think that's a good thing. So is there anything else you're you're looking forward to, Leo? I just like it when the numbers go bigger. Okay. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> and then and then whenever it's official, that that just gets my goat every time. No. So I'm I'm excited for it. I'm I'm probably going to slap it on an extra partition or an extra disk somewhere uh just to play around with it. But I I don't know. I just I keep coming back. Keep nice. coming back to the old trusty. Yeah, yeah, same. Same here. Um but I will say all the spins, uh, they've all got some updates too. And uh, even the uh, Kinoite, which is, I think that's how you say that, is the KDE Me. Plasma um, immutable file system thing that is like, oh, so like silver, silver blue? blue. It's like silver uh, blue, but it's yeah, KDE yeah. Plasma. Oh, cool. Okay, um, that's way cool. I think I like that. that is a, was that a thing last time? Maybe this is the first release for that. I'm not sure. But The, the word Kinoite rings a bell but i, I don't know if they've had an official release or not i believe yeah i'm gonna trust you on that okay good because that's a first <laughs> <laughs> so all of those things got updates as well and when that's that's also pretty cool mm -hmm. uh, another thing that got released is the linux kernel 5.15 now we talked about this a couple of episodes ago yeah, um, yes but um real brief couple big things Obviously, the NTFS uh, file system improvements are now in the kernel. And um, the other thing is the SMV server, you know, built in um, to the kernel, which is, that's amazing to me. That, that right. like, little built in SMV server stuff in the kernel. Like, you only need the right. kernel. So this has me jonesing to maybe set up an Arch server, even maybe, like, once that gets released to Arch, I suppose, just right. to kind of test some of these things out. I don't know. How do you feel about that? I don't know. I, I really want to see what kind of performance difference there is. Because I, I never really felt like transferring to and from an NTFS disk from within Linux was slow. It's not real fast, though. Maybe it's like, well, okay. So maybe it's like an SSD to SSD kind of thing yeah. where that's really where you're starting to get to the bottlenecks. But I mean... I don't know, man. I mean, 100 megabytes a second usually isn't fast enough for you, but it's fairly fast, man. I don't... How big a file are you trying to move? Yeah, I, I guess that's Moving the... big videos or something, maybe. Right, right. The other thing is games, right? True. Very true. Where Oh, yeah, where you've got a lot of I feel of that. like you could probably share your games uh, a little better, I suppose. Maybe Steam Library or something. I'm not sure. I know people have mixed results with that, but, you know, maybe maybe this will help with that. Yeah, it's, it definitely saves a lot of space, but I run a few different games that uh, explicitly forbid you from doing that because it just mm. won't work. Uh, a lot of the Battle.net Blizzard games... That um, makes sense, yes. ...do Those not games. work if you're on Linux reading from an NTFS disk. I don't know why. I don't know the technical reasons why that, that's the thing, but uh, yeah, you can't do it. Okay. So I just installed them. Yeah, I have like three copies of it all over the place. <laughs> you know, for fun. Yeah, but I, I, I am... I am curious to see. I'd like to do some transfers and then do the same transfers and see if there's uh, see what kind of performance difference there is. Um, I know the Debs out there. You can just install it on a on your Linux or your your oh, Ubuntu could. machine or whatever. Though you do have to uh, mentally prepare for rolling back and all of that stuff. I'm not real keen on the unsupported uh, route of installing a kernel. 
personal What do you mean? You don't just like shoving software into your machine and hoping it works? That's that's the way to do it. I thought that's how Linux worked. I feel like I have enough issues. I don't need to introduce things that I, I I've done. Um, you know, like that. I don't know. How's Discord <laughs> working for you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I don't know. Like it'll be out soon enough in most of the big distributions um that do the rolling bits. Um yep. I feel like Fedora will probably get it a little bit. I mean, they just released, so they're going to be a little behind on that, probably ever so slightly. But that's going to uh, be okay, because uh, 5.15 is a long-term support kernel. Looks it like is. it's going to get two years of support at least. Right. And then if uh, if the corporate interests throw enough money at it, it'll probably go longer than that. But the other ones that'll get it will be Arch and OpenSUSE and, I don't know, Debian testing, I suppose. Or, you and know. They'll be on 5.16 way before uh, the LTS runs out. Oh, yeah, yeah. But if you want to test this particular kernel, they'll be there soon, I feel like. Right. So, Leo, time for my new segment? Edge Watch. Edge Watch. Are you on your edge? <laughs> I'm on the edge of my seat. Look yeah. at this. Look at this edge stable. It's stable now, it's everybody. It's official. Officially stable. Yeah. Well, as Sorry, stable the, as edge the, can be. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, this happened today, mm -hmm. uh, a little bit before we recorded. So yeah, yeah just all the, all the cool stuff is happening today. I think that's really good. Um, I don't know. I mean, I never actually saw, even on the dev branch, I never actually saw Edge crash on me. I have uh, not. I've been using it a while now, especially at work, yeah. where we're kind of a Microsoft place. So right. um, it makes sense to use the Microsoft product. Sorry, folks. I feel the exact same way. I mean, yeah. we use a lot of drive stuff at work. So, I mean, mm -hmm. obviously, I'm going to use Chrome to have the best you know, Google integration available to me. Uh, I'd, I'd like to not have show-stopping things happen. Right. So um, I've been using it for a while. Uh, I've been using it for Outlook on the web and, uh, you know, all of those other bits and bobs of Microsoft 365 that, that come along with that. And mm -hmm. But I've been doing it on my Linux box, which, I don't know, feels like liberating almost. I don't have to use a Windows machine to use all those tools. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's nice. Even though it's from the Microsoft place, I suppose. Does that help mm. absolve me? I don't know. Do I have to turn um, in my card? Uh, I don't think so. But okay. I mean, you know, if you look at what they're doing with .NET and all well. that stuff. I mean, come on. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> no. They heart Linux, though. Don't worry about it. That's what they tell us. And uh, I don't know. It's been stable, though. So, like, I guess I can't complain. Yeah. I mean, like I said, the the, the dev branch was stable. And then I, I moved to, to beta on, on another install. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, why would that be less stable than the dev branch? And now I don't know if I want to relinquish all the cool little updates that I get in the updater from time to time mm -hmm. about Microsoft Edge. The stable one is just... It'll get security fixes. I think that's that's pretty much all you're going to get with the stable one. And that's okay. Is it though? I don't I know. like I like seeing it in the box. But well, then again, I actually install my updates though. So well, that's true. <laughs> Listen, we we give Microsoft a hard time, or a lot of Linux open source folks do. But um, I will say this browser actually comes with some security features, um, mm. which is surprising coming from the place it's coming from, right? So you can turn off a lot of those cookie gathering things and yeah. turn on the do not track me and 
there's a bunch of stuff that's built in there that is just easy tick boxes and you can select the one you want and go the route a lot like when when you first start up you know um vivaldi how it asks you a bunch of questions and you can you can go the route you want to go it it kind of does tick does some of those things right so it's not terrible yeah well, you know what though? I think uh, we we have to look back and see the first group of people that did that. It was it was Mozilla Firefox mm-hmm. and it was Brave. Yep. Those were the two more security focused browsers, privacy focused browsers that I think pushed the envelope on that. And now it has forced even Google. Right. It it not only forced them to add in anti tracking to their browser, which they're not going to need that anyway because Flock. But yeah, they invented a new way to track you because Google saw the writing on the wall. Mm-hmm. And where did that come from? Mozilla and Brave, which the, uh, the inventor of Brave was originally a, a Mozillan. What, what, do you, what do you call those people? Mozilla folks. Mozilla, Mozilla people. <laughs> I don't know. But, but, I mean, tip of the hat to, uh, to the people that were first on the scene with that kind of stuff. Everybody has to follow suit now. Edge yep. has it. Vivaldi has it. Even Chrome has it. Uh, I don't know if Chromium has it, but I assume it does, right? I mean, I don't know. Well, there's probably a way. I guess even though they all have it, right? I feel like Edge presents it in a way that's easy for you to, you know, turn some of those things on and Mm. it gives you good visibility as to what is happening. I feel it's simple, but kind of good. And in a couple of, you know, selections and you've turned up your, your security profile quite a bit yeah yeah exactly it's like a seatbelt on the internet you need it Mm -hmm. i think you need it i don't know good things coming out of it i guess it's not it's not it's one of the ones i use Mm -hmm. so not to segue us uh out of uh browser watch but i do have to say real quick um i've been tinkering around with plasma more okay (laughs) nothing wrong with that i mean i mean um and this is not really specifically plasma but it is kind of qt have you heard of talk I have not. So you wrote this in the notes, and I have not used this application. Okay. So. so I haven't either, and that's why it's not in App Focus, because normally this is where we would, uh, you know, I would, I would normally put an app like this right. in App Focus, but I haven't used it myself. Yeah. So here, here's what happened. So uh, Nicolo Ve um, did a video on talk. Now, okay, so I'm saying talk, and it does sound like talk, and I think it was on purpose, but it's T-O-K, mm-hmm. talk. And... It is a KDE Telegram client. So, right, this is the kind of thing that would work on Manjaro KDE, right? Like, yeah. fanta- or the, the ARM edition that goes on to the PinePhone Pro, you know, yeah. that, right? So fantastic. We've got a Telegram client over there. But it's not because it's Telegram, and it's not because it's KDE. It's because it can do blur. Oh, <laughs> dial up the you blur. Look. look. With, I think it was 5.23, mm-hmm. the, the, the taskbar thing down there, where your little icons oh, yeah. and, your, and your menus and all mm-hmm. that, that became blurrable, like yes. transparent blur, whatever, like all the whole system. Like yep. there's so much blur now all over the system. I love it. Everything that gets added on to a plasma <laughs> system or any system that supports it and, it, and it just, and it looks blurry and the thing, uh, uh, oh, please. So talk. Uh, Nicole LeVay's, uh video, he was going through all of the new features or some of the new features of Talk. And that was one of the features where instead yeah. of, so in, in Telegram, you can put some backgrounds that have like images and stuff behind right. the, all yep. the words and chat. Well, instead of that, 
just make the background transparent and, and then, blurry. Uh, I just, and it matches everything else. So like you got console over here, you got exactly. talk over here, and they all kind oh. of matchy, matchy. That sounds pretty cool, Leo. I, I had to break the flow of browser watch uh, to talk about that. Well, I think um, it was worth it. Because it's it's amazing. So uh, if you're on if you're on Plasma, go check out Talk. Let me know how it goes. It may end up wiggling its way into our app focus one of these days. But uh, yeah, I didn't feel right putting it there because I hadn't tested it. So yeah, I can't we need say to, that it's amazing. Yeah, I feel like we need to test things before we go yeah, recommending but, them, right? But I, yeah, I just <laughs> wanted to talk about the blur. Okay, that's just that's my thing. Uh, mm -hmm. If there's more blur, so if you as a listener know about other things that can be blurred, uh, tell oh, me. Boy. Be because I just want just, once everything is blurry, um, I'll know that I have taken my glasses off. Oh wait, no, I'll know that I'm on plasma. That's it. How about Mozilla Watch? We've done that one before, but let's do it again. Yes, time, uh, time to Mozilla. Let's watch a little bit of the Mozilla. What's going on? Well, no, a new release there. We're keeping with the theme of mm -hmm. new releases. Yep. New release today. Yay! Seriously, everything's released today. <laughs> yeah, we came down to my little updater today. I was I was so hopeful that it was going to release before we recorded this show so I could come back and talk about mm -hmm. it a little bit. Well, um, I went and, and downloaded it this morning, like early, early. Um, just, you know, it didn't come down in my updater, but I went and downloaded it manually just so I could test mm -hmm. it for the show because I knew mm -hmm. it was coming Pretty up. Pretty cool. So you just, you just, you, you extracted the tarball somewhere and ran it yep. that way. Okay. All right. I guess, uh, I guess I got lucky. Linux Mint tends to, uh, push out the Firefoxes pretty quickly though. Well, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but it was good for me in this they case. They hadn't even done the release notes at this point in time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I remember looking at it yesterday and, and, uh, the release notes were like, you know, it'll, it'll be there. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. It was, it was pretty hot off the press. So there's a lot of cool stuff. There's a mm -hmm. lot of cool stuff in this one. I think, I think they were like saving it all up for one release and this is that like, release yeah because yeah. yeah, little incremental things little niceties in in the past few releases but 94 is where it's at apparently uh because we're looking at uh egl so this is um replacing glx i mm -hmm. believe in the OpenGL stack so right. it's a new basically a, a new way to present all this graphically intensive stuff from within your browser that does two things increases performance I love that. I love that. Mm -hmm. I like but my performance. Decreases power consumption, which is really cool on your laptop. Uh, oh my yes. goodness! Now this is something that I have not had enough time to test. I don't think anybody's had enough time to test at uh, the day no. we're recording. By the time you hear this, <laughs> there'll be time to test. Yeah. So I really hope that this does give me an extra thirty minutes on my battery. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, uh, I'll, I'll type a little bit in VS Code here or do a little bit of, um, you know, video watching local videos or something like that. But I mean, the vast majority of stuff is in the browser. So yeah, in any, any kind of improvement battery wise in the browser is always a good thing. And so the performance thing, I did, I did click around a little bit. There were two websites that, um, that I figured would work. And that is uh, Reddit and TikTok because they they have fady, dynamically loaded junk all over their websites and video, which I assume is accelerated. Right. So this was not a scientific test in, by any any stretch of the imagination, but um, it did seem to me 
that it was slightly faster. But it also could be just my brain being like, well, it's the bigger number, so obviously it's better. Um, right. So I, I imagine the next couple of days we'll we'll see some actual scientific tests doing actual benchmarking uh, to to back me up on that or not. But um, that'll be good. Um, we'll have to pay attention to those. But I can say scientifically that it worked. What do you mean? Really? Well, no, just that, like I went to YouTube and I was able to watch a video. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Perfect. I mean, honestly, it working at all is kind of a is, is a bar you have to clear. Yeah, so, I know. Hey, they did it. They did it. Guys, job's done. Just pack it up. We're, we're done. We're, we're absolutely done. It reminds me of the old days when you got to the end, you got your system all installed and you typed in start X and you hoped it started. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You were hoping you didn't get any kind of weird cryptic errors. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so it did that. It met that test and that's great. So one really cool thing, and this is why I was saying they were really kind of loading up for this particular release mm -hmm. is... We now have side channel attack prevention uh, between tabs. Okay, what that means. That is cool. Is if you have a unknown to you, right, malicious tab open that is listening or reaching, doing, mm -hmm. you know, specter style, uh, you know, row hammer style memory vacuuming type attacks, just hoping to get lucky or something like that. And then, you know, you unwittingly go to, a, go, go to your bank's website or go mm -hmm. to somewhere that has heightened security. Right. Um, we now have in Firefox the 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 seb the segregation of those two tabs where, you know, malicious tab A can no longer see the right. memory that uh, that that normal tab B is using. And right. they do that by separating each tab out in the in, in a process. Mm -hmm. So then you can't you can't steal memory from one or the other. Which which I'm sure they've uh, probably come about this with the like the container tabs that we've talked about before, right? So mm -hmm. I feel like some of that technology is probably spilling over into this sort of uh, area, so that you know they can help protect you from the malicious things as as well. So I I think I think this is a this is a really good feature that you know people won't notice or know because it's in the background, but yep, I mean it it, it might save some people. Oh, it, it, it absolutely will, because, I mean, this is, this is how people get uh, their identity stolen. They go to the wrong website, man. Oh, yeah. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, where's this charge coming from? Mm. Yeah. But you brought up multi-account containers. Well, it turns out there's something about that, too. So, okay, I know, I know. Mozilla VPN wasn't Linux first, uh, whatever. Here's <laughs> the deal. With Mozilla VPN... It is now able to integrate directly into the multi-account containers, which allows you to say, if I open up a container, you know, the green container, whatever, mm -hmm. uh, I want that, that to look like I'm in the U.S. If I open something up in an orange container, I want that to look like I'm coming out of Canada. Wow. Or I want to look like I'm coming out of somewhere in Europe or somewhere mm -hmm. else. So you can directly add the Mozilla VPN to containers and your endpoint will be different depending on the container that you're using. That is pretty neat. That's fantastic. And that is amazing, honestly. That's one of those killer features that I don't think you can do with many other VPN, if any other VPN providers. But I guess in a way, finally, Mozilla's got the VPN edge here and then 
this might right. this this might turn some people to looking at that. Like I I I've been pretty uninterested in Mozilla's VPN up till this point, but this feature seems pretty great and it might be a, a killer. Right. It's just that's good stuff. Yep. Yeah, that that needs a highlight. It definitely does. And that's why we're talking about it. Cause mm-hmm. uh, I I just got on the multi-account container train and mm-hmm. now this fits right in. This fits right in. Proton VPN was like, hey, 50% off in my email the mm-hmm. other day. And I was and I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it. And now all of a sudden this happens. Yeah. And now I'm looking in the other direction. So I, I don't know. know, man. What do I do? What do I do? So that that is just fantastic. And then what was always said about Firefox is that it tended to be the tinkerer's browser or the mm-hmm. developer's browser, or it just had a lot of those features that um, yeah. you know, other browsers didn't have. Most of the browsers have that stuff now. But you know, one thing that I think Chromium doesn't have, because really, what are we talking about? We're talking about Firefox and Chromium. That's it. Yeah, everybody's built off those. Right. Is individual tab memory management that goes hand in hand mm. with Firefox's new um unloading technology. So, you know, those old crusty tabs. So I think this really yeah. applies to those people that that can't even read what the tab says anymore. It's just icons. Because there's so many of them. Yeah. Right. Or or when you open up the little the little uh, arrow thing and it and it lists it way down and you got to scroll and scroll. Right. Th- this is for you folks. For for those folks that keep those tabs open for hours or days or weeks or something like that, mm-hmm. you are now able to go add weight to these tabs and have them unload first or sense. last. And you know, th- this gives you way more control over whether or not that page is going to reload when you click on it. Really. I mean, so when you want that information fast, give it uh, give it the proper weight, click on it, it's already there. Or, you know, if you want it to unload, give it the proper weight, click on it, and it'll take a little while for it to come all back and all that kind of good stuff. But just now we're, we're, we're getting back to the roots of it's for the tinkerers. It's for the hackers. Yeah. I feel like that's exciting. I hope they hang on to that momentum, and I hope some people pick up on it. Yep. I hope so, too. I hope so, too. Uh, last thing real quick is something they call colorways. I feel like this is not a technical thing. It's a colory thing. It's a colorful thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played with this a little while ago and it's, it's exactly what it kind of sounds like. It, it colorizes Firefox. Mm-hmm. So think of, think of, of all these colors. Yes. They, they got some nice themes and stuff that you can, you know, tinker with and accent colors and whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So it looked to me like you have like eight major colors and then three sub choices underneath that. You have like bold and like regular and uh, I don't know, drawn back or sure. something, um, you know, because think of like orange There's like a really bold yeah. orange. And then there's that very light can barely tell it's there orange. Uh, and then you have a middle option as well. So that's yeah, cool. If you like uh, if you like to, you know, theme around or something like that, and you don't want to m- mess with it too terribly much. Just. Well, the know, tinkering with the look and feel is uh, something that keeps the freshness and it doesn't feel stale anymore. You know, so having that uh, as a feature kind of seems pretty cool. Yep, exactly. So you can still theme. That's always that's that's, right. that's still going to be there. But these color colorways, um, uh, just if you don't like to go as far as theming, but you do like a little bit, a right. splash of color, it's the way to do it. It's pretty cool. Definitely. Well, another cool thing that Mozilla has done is they've kind of killed some malicious add-ons. 
for mm-hmm. a lot of users. Uh, well, I think we're up over a half a million, maybe now. Wow. I mean, the, the original article said 455,000. And I saw another one that said somewhere that I'll have to find again that said, you know, we were we were climbing as far as the number of people that have been saved. Oof. So this uh, it, it's a little sad that it existed in the beginning, um, but it's great on Mozilla for having it fixed. Yeah. Um, I, there, so there's a couple of unsavory add ons. Uh, there's bypass and bypass XM. Now, here's the, here's the thing about those particular add ons. Uh, Mozilla never actually specifically said that, uh, you know, what what the malicious part of it was. They never actually pinpointed it uh, that I saw. Well, I don't know if they pinpointed it, but I, some the the bleeping computer uh, article that I'll link mm-hmm. in, in the show notes did say that uh, they were found to abuse an API that uh, Mozilla has. And that allows the add ons to intercept and redirect the web requests. Right. Um, so, right, because these these two add-ons bypass yeah. bypass XM. What what they were meant to do was when you go to a website that had a paywall, it would bypass that paywall right. by using this API. So, the, technically, that's what unless they were supposed you were, to do, right? Yeah, unless you were the New York Times putting paywalls in front of people, uh, this was a good add-on, right? right. I mean, okay, it's very it's, subjective, it's sketchy, here. but yeah, I get you, right? <laughs> um, and Mozilla just got. Added to the domains list inadvertently. The pro- there's the problem right there. Is right. It, it blocked updates for Mozilla, so mm-hmm. uh, you kind of it kind of felt like a seeming seemingly uh, endless loop there where it couldn't do updates and whatnot. Yep. And, and so, so basically, Firefox was like, "Hey, yeah. let me go check out for updates," and then it gets redirected into into the proxy abyss. Yeah. And never, never actually pulls back anything. Right. Um, so now you could bypass this by literally going out and downloading and installing Firefox again, right. but it would still be broken because add-ons carry over. Yep. So you would have to do that every single time. And that's not a position anybody really wants to be in. It's the whole reason why browsers self-update. Exactly. So, um, thankfully they've fixed that and I forget which version, but it's been a little while that they've actually fixed the problem. Just not everybody's been getting it. and so. Well, yeah, if the updates are broken, how are you going to get updates? Yeah, I know. <laughs> anyway, these add-ons are, uh, well, unsavory. So Mozilla fixed that problem. And in future releases, you won't, like, that won't, like, updates won't get blocked. They basically will go a different path um, than using this um, proxy, if you will. Right. So before you get too before you're too quick to jump on the the Firefox hate train here, this is not necessarily a Firefox only phenomena. Mm-mm. This happens with pretty much any open system that you can submit software to, like Google Play, oh, like Snap, like Flatpak, like all of this stuff. So you know, don't 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 use this as a cudgel to beat Firefox I don't over. Think I think so. this, it's yeah. it's a win because they found it, removed it. Right. And saved a half million Firefox users from, you know, getting stuck in uh, the proxy abyss, never getting updates. Yeah, I think everything that's, you know, you're al- that has capabilities of being contributed to has, you know, had this problem at some point in time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, well, sh- NPM? Anybody? Oh, that's recent, Anybody? too. Anybody? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it's not just recent, Dan. Oh, it was I know. last month. It was the month before that. It was the month before that, too. <laughs> you're and not it was, wrong. It, 
I swear, every month, it's, NPM and mm, that's PyPy and all Python things and man, it's it's supply chain attacks. That's what they are. Right. And we have not figured out a good way because just it's, it's the way that we have decided that distributing software is going to be done. And there's a chink in that armor mm-hmm. and they're getting exploited over and over. This one wasn't quite... Well, Firefox fixed the problem. They're, they're not going to use your proxy thing. They're going to go right <laughs> yeah. around that. It'll get, yeah. If it doesn't connect, it's going to default to the normal path that it normally goes to. And it's going to get its update. So Firefox fixed that. So that's great. Exactly. So And that was a fix within Firefox. So even if mm-hmm. another application were to inadvertently or on purpose break that functionality, as you said, Firefox will just sidestep and, and just drop any kind of proxy information and go straight to the source to get their updates. So very good on them. That's fantastic. I like that. I, I get warm fuzzies every time they're looking out for me. Not not me, because I didn't have the add-on, but they're still looking out yeah, that's, for me. Yeah, that's the big thing. And it's a large number of users. My goodness. Yeah. 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 So another thing that got broken. <laughs> hey, speaking of broken add-ons. <laughs> the, the Plasma browser uh, integration was uh, unavailable for a little bit there. Um, yeah. Approximately four days. Which so isn't you, bad, if, I guess, but... Right. If you had it, you were okay. If you were trying to get it between October 25th and October 29th, uh, you could not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this looks like... Um, I, we didn't get any real specifics, but it looks like uh, the folks that work on the Plas- Plasma browser integration uh, did not have all of the multi-factor authentications, their ducks in a row, right. before the mandatory cutover on what I think was the 25th. Um, so it just was not available yeah. at that time. So um, anyway, so it was, uh, it was unavailable starting on the 25th. On the 27th, there was an update that was pending review. So I suppose that means that everything was fixed on the 27th. So there was really only like a day, like a full day where things were really broken, mm-hmm. um, but that didn't get approved until the 29th. So, you know, if you're just watching on the sidelines, waiting for the ability to go get that, then yeah, you didn't, you weren't able to do that until the 29th, but um, yeah, all so this is good. Yeah, this is a plugin that a lot of people use, I think. Um, I find it really useful anytime I'm on a plas- Plasma desktop. Yeah, um, oh yeah. You know? I, I, I feel like it's mandatory. I mean, they, they oh. put it right in front of your face when you're on KDE. Yeah. I really do feel like it's mandatory because the integration that it provides with KRunner and yep. you know, just everything, really. But even like is, the lock screen, it's good. And, and you, can, you, right. you can pause your stuff. And, you know, if it went to, you know, the lock screen, you can pause your stuff. And that's kind of right. cool. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and it's down there in, in the tray, too. So you can see, yep. you know, what's playing. And uh, Exactly. I, I, I enjoy it, personally. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, uh, it's just really good info. So mm-hmm. if, you, if, you're, if you're on Plasma and you're not using it, try it out. It's available again. <laughs> yeah, now you can out. try it out. And, uh, <laughs> and, and see if you, if you don't fall in love with it, because I did. So Mozilla, uh, you, you, you posted this. Uh, Mozilla's got a new uh, mobile homepage. Um, okay, don't, don't, don't bring out the ticker tape. Don't start a parade. There okay. doesn't need to be a lot of fanfare about this, but I just thought it was really interesting um, that if you close the browser on mobile, um, if you close the browser, come back to it, all your tabs are gone or something like right. that. There's a history of all of your recently opened mm-hmm. tabs in right, right there on the homepage. Um, next mm. to your shortcuts, above all the pocket stuff, unless you disable that, 
Um, it, it helps you get back into the groove of whatever you're doing faster. Okay. And I just thought that was a nice mobile touch. It's it pretty is. good. It, I don't, I don't use the, the Firefox on mobile. I'm not gonna... I, I heard Android was fairly terrible. Yeah. Uh, crashy and not great generally on Firefox. I would challenge you to try it again. I have no idea if it's any better. I, <laughs> I, I just want to know for my own morbid curiosity. Is it any better? I had it for a really long time. And then I was finding some performance hits. Mm. Um, I don't have the latest and greatest phone. So there's that too. So mm, um, true. it could be some, some of me. Well, and then also, you know, you're, you're a Vivaldi daily driver. I am. So, I mean, why wouldn't you use Vivaldi on your phone as well to get the sync and all that other kind of stuff? I did switch to Vivaldi um, on the mobile. And I've got to say, performance is still better, I think. I, I tried yeah. Firefox again, but I've gone back to Vivaldi on, on the Android. And yeah. um, performance is really good with that. So I'm, I'm not going to knock it too much. But yeah, I, I know I, one of the other reasons I switched away from Firefox was I wasn't really fond of their new mobile interface. Um, they switched. Mm -hmm. They had a big change. But they seem to have corrected some of the things that that were, um, you know, a problem before. So it looks better than it did. So this is a nice touch as well. So it keeps me wondering if I want to switch back again. So I don't know. Well, I feel like, you know, changing browsers is about as hard as changing distros if you start to sync mm. stuff up anymore. I don't sync a lot of stuff. I don't sync stuff with my browser too much. I use KDE Connect um, or GS Connect or Zorin Connect or whatever, depending mm -hmm. on which distro we're on testing and, and on my desktop. Um, and that sort of takes care of a lot of the syncing things for me that I mm -hmm. need to do. Because if I want to open a page on my desktop browser, it's a click away and there I am. Right. Yeah, the, the tab sharing and the bookmark sharing and history sharing, I think, is, mm -hmm. uh, is pretty fantastic, no matter what browser you're on. Um, but yeah, I guess, I guess just overall, if you're not tied to a specific browser, I mean, give it a shot. On mm. iOS, you're kind of pigeonholed into still basically using Safari with a mm. Firefox skin on top. Yeah. Um, and, and that works well for me, I think. Yeah. I mean, Firefox really gets to decide what the user interface feels like. Well, the web renderer behind that is really Safari. Well, but, I mean, it's still Firefox. So uh, I, I think overall, though, I mean, performance is really good on iOS. And, and nice. uh, I've, I've been using it for quite a while. So I'm going to just keep doing it. And okay. the, the, the new mobile edition thingamajig, uh, when I accidentally kill all my tabs, because uh, <laughs> I do that sometimes. <laughs> well, yeah, um, I get will, that. Will help me get back into the groove a little faster, which is kind of nice. Cool. All right. Time for another new segment. Oh, boy. Brave Watch. Are you brave? I'm brave. I'm so brave. I know are you are. are you brave enough to try I, Brave Search? Brave Search, I heard it's really good. And uh, I guess, like, I'm not opposed to trying a new search. I use mm -hmm. a lot of DuckDuckGo. Um, I find it works well for me. But um, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Brave Search has kind of got some exciting things. I know you use it. So I, um, on the last episode, I don't know if I mentioned it on the episode, but that was about the time that I swapped Firefox over to use Brave Search by default, mm -hmm. just to see if I could get along with it, just to see if it was going to be any good to see, you know, I mean, 
the same way I did DuckDuckGo and fell in mm-hmm. love with DuckDuckGo. Um, I can't say that I fell in love with Brave Search. Okay. But I don't think the search quality was much worse than right. DuckDuckGo. But I, I think we, we talked about search not too long ago, and I think one of the biggest things that that influenced my fairly positive opinion of a new mm-hmm. search engine is that it does still have a lot of those rudimentary tools mm-hmm. baked into it, like quotes and minus and plus and all the weird little things, searchy things that you can do to kind of shape the results that you're getting back. That's good to me. I like to be able to, you know, kind of point my search in a, in, in the right direction. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you're using three letter acronyms, man, mm-hmm. that can bring back so much junk. You, mm-hmm. you really have to whittle down what you don't want or specify what you do want. Otherwise it's gonna, I mean, yeah. you're going to get all kinds of, you got a lot of scrolling to do. <laughs> yeah. The, the coolest thing I think is that, uh, if you're using the brave browser, uh, and if you're on Chromium, I hope you do. Um, it is dropping Google in the United States, Canada, and the UK. Uh, it's dropping Quant if you're in France and DuckDuckGo in Germany. Those are the only five countries that they're debuting this Brave search on so far. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's that's a lot of people. Uh, uh, so uh, as a version 1.31, uh, I guess, is the deal. It's privacy first, mm-hmm. right? So not going to track you, not going to profile you. Their searches are, for lack of a better word, dumb. Yeah. The search that I make in my neck of the woods is the results are going to be the exact same that Dan gets in his neck of the woods. Yeah, which is nice. So, exactly. Um, user first. There's uh, Right now, there's no advertising, though I think they're adding in advertising. I want to say that I've already seen advertising there mm. before. Here's one of the things about this. They're actually going to release a paid tier. Okay. To remove the advertising. Well, that's kind of cool. I'm not opposed to that. If you if you can do a paid tier and remove all the advertising, that's not terrible. Right. So, I'm I'm happy with that. That's actually that that right there, the the ad-free now was one of the big kickers for me to just try it out. I already liked Brave. I thought their search was going to be cool, so I was I was going to try it anyway, but that was the the little you go do it. Yeah. Um, there, it's also an independent thing. So it's not, it's not like DuckDuckGo where it feeds off of Bing for a lot of searches right. or anything like that. This is Brave's own thing. It's all, you know, cooked up by their cooks in the kitchen. It's their thing. All right. Leo, so you're talking me into it. You, you've done a good I, job. I mean, it, so, um, there's well, also no, no, no secret algorithms. Right. No bias results, none of that manipulated, you're coming from here, so whatever. The way that it works is it's basically open source. Mm-hmm. And the, the source of how they rank things is based on the community, what you and I click on. But wait, your, your, little, your, your little cynical mm-hmm. hat might be yeah, my, you know, my... topping on top of your head. Mm-hmm. The thing is, that community interaction is opt in, not oh. opt out. I oh. think that's going to hurt them in the short term. Well, but, maybe, but but I think for for a privacy focused browser, there's no other option. Mm-hmm. You can't go opt in if privacy is your number one. And they're showing that that's the case by saying, you know, yeah, it might might hurt you in the short term, but it's going to win the hearts of the people. So that's pretty important. Exactly. So hopefully um, it'll turn into users. The other thing that I like here is like they're promoting their own product with their own product. 
And mm, mm-hmm. I feel like you should be doing that. Like if you are creating a browser and you're creating search, then you should pair those two together because they belong together. So yep. um, I'm I'm thinking, you know, dog fooding your own stuff, right? The, you Nothing wrong with that. I think that's that's the way you should be. Yeah. So the cool thing is, if you're already on Brave, it's not going to change for you. Um, And I say cool thing because I suppose that people that are on Brave don't like things being changed underneath them uh, as it it pertains to privacy, right? (laughs) So new installs will have Brave search by default. Mm -hmm. But if you have an old install, you have to go and change it. Um, But the last little bit is is the, the, the cherry on top. So they're committed to openness, which means that as the search engine leaves beta, it's going to be available for other search engines, DuckDuckGo, mm-hmm. to use for their own results. Well, that's pretty cool, too. I think, I think uh, DuckDuckGo might want to do a little high five with Brave Search mm-hmm. and see if they can't make something fully yeah, a little independent from the, the big boys. Mm-hmm. Because we know, because I know, because I've really wear a tinfoil hat all the time. Well, the, I think they've the big both boys... gained in a lot of popularity, so, yeah. I mean, they could... I mean, it's still small in comparison, but I think you join forces and you've got uh, got some strength there, I think. So, yeah. yeah, go with it. I think both are ready. I mean, I, I really do like DuckDuckGo. I, I really do agree that it can replace Google already if you know some of the tricks. I would say that in my daily daily usage, one out of a hundred queries. Mm-hmm. Do I even consider using Google? And then half of those, I actually do use Google. The other half, I just tweak my search a little bit and yeah, figure or, it out. Or if you didn't want to, you know, worry about the tracking bits, you can search Google right from DuckDuckGo. So I mean, there's that too. I mean, you have that capability. It, yes. Eh, I I don't. I I believe that the moment that I hit a Google asset anywhere on the internet, I'm being tracked. Well, you and probably are, but it's being least, added to the pile of stuff that I, that they know about me. But I, I, I but don't, no, you're right. I like to think that the layer of abstraction might help you a little bit. So you know, at least you have that option. Yeah, hopefully between Firefox tracking protection and DuckDuckGo's proxy, uh, maybe they don't know. <laughs> I, I I think one of the killer features for DuckDuckGo for me is the Bang searches. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. Oh, my Just word. go straight to the website. Don't even bother with uh, a search and a click. Just go straight. Yeah, to those things are just website. fantastic. Yeah. Brave needs that. And DuckDuckGo needs the independence of Brave Search. That's, see, marry those two things together. I know. And you end up with a fantastic search. All right, Leo. This last topic is all you, my friend. <laughs> So something about unicorns and bidets. Yes, un- I, I don't uni- unicorn bidets. Uh, that um, broke the internet. Is what happened. You got uh, me. No. Unicode <laughs> bidet by bi- but but it stands for bidirectional or it's short for bidirectional. Um, so Unicode's bidy algorithm because it's spelled like MIDI but with a B. So anyway, sure. <laughs> All right. So let me break this down real quick. Here's what happens. So Unicode has the ability to, um, with a couple of characters, decide that whatever you're typing out or whatever you're you're representing on a page can be read both right to left, which is, you know, to you and I, that's pretty normal, or wait, left to right. Wait, see, I, I don't even, I can't even think outside we of that box. We go left to right. Yeah. We go left to right. So left to right is normal. Right to left is abnormal for us. 
Um, but lots of languages use that kind of thing. So Unicode, because it supports like 140,000 different characters, encompasses right-to-left written languages. And wouldn't you know it, there are some clever folks out there that are using this to their advantage as okay. a it, it has become a vulnerability. But hold on. You're thinking, oh man, is this in Rust? Oh, is this in C or is it in is it in Visual? What what is it? Visual C Sharp? I I don't which wh- all of them. Oh no, all of the languages that Every support language? Unicode. All language. Every language. Oof. So whatever language you're thinking of, does it support Unicode? If that answer yeah, is probably yes, probably does. <laughs> this vulnerability called Trojan Source. Ugh. Yeah, it's it's affected by that. So you. It, the reason I brought it in is because it's ubiquitous. It's in mm. everything. Because everything supports Unicode, because we've just agreed that Unicode is the way that we're going to yeah. communicate. It's the universal code, Unicode. Yeah. You're right. It's what the uni is about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so here's <sighs> the thing. Okay. And, and, and I imagine you're thinking, well, how in the world can you just, you know, use this to your advantage? Well. For people that read left to right, you're, yeah. as you're going through code, you're not looking for vulnerabilities or malicious code or lines that are reading right to left. And it's Ugh. so easy to just skim on past that. Not only that, you can use the right to left, left to right Unicode swip swappies to hide code in comments oh boy oh yeah that makes sense because your comment has to start on the one end right yeah yeah the rest except, of it oh boy except this way you do a little you do a little uh a little bait and switch in the middle yeah and, and all of a sudden on the other end all of a sudden exactly oof yes so while computers can pick up on this a lot of open source commits go through, of course, they go through a linting process and, and all of that they kind do. of stuff. Mm-hmm. But a human has to review it and then merge it. And if the linter did not catch these weird little things, yep. it's going to get committed. And while, as far as I could tell, there was no real example. Cambridge did, a, the, uh, did, did the research on this. There's no real uh, example of this kind of thing in the wild, it's possible. And the only language I have seen that has addressed this is Rust. Okay. If not the first, one mm-hmm. of the first. And the way that they do it is during the linting process, if they see any of those kind of shenanigans, they'll mark it. They will also tell you how to fix it. So mm-hmm. as long as you're running this code through a linter, mm-hmm. at least in Rust, it will catch this. Rust does that sort of stuff like on the fly if you've, you know, so it, that's the cool thing, right? Yeah, is exactly. It, is it does a lot of those like on the go. You don't have to run it through another tool um, when, you know, compiles right there in front of you. So Exactly. So I, I like, I, I want to file this under social engineering attacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because, because it's the human that's screwing this up. Always. Is, I mean, but it is. It's always yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. It's it's always pebcac, right? 
I mean, uh, it, it's always you that that broke the thing. Computers mm -hmm. do exactly what you tell them. And in this case, they do exactly what you tell them. It's just that humans are really bad at picking up on these these very small little adjustments to things. And we'll just scroll right past this stuff. But it's everything. Uh, <sighs> I skim all the time, so I'm probably just as guilty. I know. We all do. I, I mean... If I read every letter I came across, I would still be reading three years ago stuff. So Right. That's true. I get it. Uh, so these types of attacks just have to be addressed at the language level, at, at the mm -hmm. compilation level, at the linting level, because otherwise uh, we're going we're, we're gonna to do what humans do and we're going to miss those kinds of things. So we need more rust. Well, I mean, that <laughs> seems to be the answer to pretty much everything all the time. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, I mean, more Rust and more languages need to follow suit, though I'm sure they are. I'm, they I'm sure are, they're, yeah. by the time you hear this, mostly all the languages will likely have an update, but will all of the environments be updated to the new versions of the language that support the catching out of these particular issues? Um, it always comes back down to updates now, doesn't it, Dan? Oof. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a, a lot. If it's not DNS, it's updates, man. It's <gasps> every time, every time. Housekeeping. Housekeeping. The Linux and open source community has some fantastic resources, and we want to make sure to highlight that. In our showcase for this episode, we want to draw your attention to the Ubuntu Security Podcast. Mm -mm -mm. I know we're all a little sad that the Ubuntu Podcast ended, but here's a chance to catch a different Ubuntu Podcast, and, you know, you could be happy with that. All right, so you're probably <laughs> still sad. I get it. We miss our old friends. You're just going to have to be com uh, content with the Ubuntu content that we come out with, you know, like Flutter, right? That, that's yeah, it. That's yeah. what, what you get. <laughs> we miss our old friends. We really do. So, but that's okay. This is a, this is a great, um, a little more serious podcast, but uh, still, I would call it top notch, personally. Yep. It's, it's security information straight to the face if you're on Ubuntu, especially if you're admining Ubuntu and mm -hmm. try to keep your your ear down to the ground to hear about these different kinds of issues or fixes to the issues is the place to get it. This is this is as close as you're going to get to to you know drinking from the fire hose. This is the fire hose. And and so they talk about a little more than just you know updates and security vulnerabilities. I mean they do hit on all of those, but like in this last episode they talked about the uh, you know Tianfu. Um, competition, yes. if you will, for, for security stuff. Um, and that was really interesting to listen to. I don't, I don't know if you, I know you got your tinfoil hat like perched on there and, oh. and this is one of the oh, shows yes. that you probably listen to. So now I, I didn't hear the most recent okay. uh, episode. I, I remember during that Tianfu thing, did they, uh, did the groups that brought vulnerabilities forward ever communicate those vulnerabilities to Ubuntu? So Alex talked about that in the show. And uh, so you definitely got to listen, right? And so, oh! yeah. Oh, you're, no. you're going you're gonna to bait me like that. Okay. All right. I'll go listen. I'll so go listen. Alex Murray, yeah, does great job. Great show. Um, and he, he totally talked about that. So go check it out. Okay. And uh, All see right. what he thinks. I, I do wonder if he's going to cover, I mean, because every language all the time is affected by the uh, the bidet thing, <laughs> yeah, uh, the bidet Unicode thing. bidet, yep. uh, Trojan Source. I wonder if he's going to talk about Trojan Source. I would like to hear his take on it. Um, hmm, interesting. Interesting. Because it affects everything. So maybe, maybe it'll, it'll make that show. So 
Yeah, very serious topic, but great show. Love it. Feel free to send your emails to contact at linuxuserspace.show and we can discuss your emails on the show in our feedback section. We love our patrons. Thanks to everyone for all of your contributions. We truly appreciate your support. If you want to join the other patrons, you can head on over to patreon.com slash linuxuserspace. Hey, we got the uh, we got the linuxuserspace.show slash Patreon thing down, don't we? We got that too. Yes, we have uh, a redirect for that. Yes, we do. See, see, here's my favorite thing about the housekeeping now is that everything is going to start with linuxuserspace.show slash and then the thing you want. It's true. Uh, it's, it's so good. It's so good. Including this next thing, one of our favorites, uh, our Matrix Room. So that's just linuxuserspace.show slash matrix. We have our Telegram group, and you can guess, surprise, surprise, linuxuserspace.show slash telegram. Slash, slash, slash. If those aren't enough slashing, uh, how about uh, our Discord server, linuxuserspace.show slash Discord. You can follow us on Twitter at linuxuserspace or linuxuserspace.show slash Twitter. That'll also be madman. You madman, you've done it. <laughs> Got a redirect for everything, including YouTube. So linuxuserspace.show slash YouTube. That'll get you to our YouTube page. And, you know, that's pretty handy, honestly, because the normal YouTube links are gobbledygook. Uh, they're, they're terrible. I don't know what they are. And, uh, you know, Odyssey, they're kind of not as bad, but a little unforgettable. So just head on over to linuxuserspace.show slash Odyssey, and that'll get you there. Our latest addition is our subreddit, and that's linuxuserspace.show slash reddit. Lastly, don't forget to rate this podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast application and like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube and Odyssey, where you can see our face. I have a, I have a thing now. Um, I feel like we're just going to start making redirects now, but not telling any of it, anybody about it. And uh, the trick is going to be you have to guess. So it's like brute force, brute forcing the URL. You have to go figure it out. I'm just gonna start. I'm just gonna start putting stuff out there. Only for fans, though. <laughs> East slash Easter egg. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. You can always get more information on our website, linuxuserspace.show. Time to focus. I'm focused. Are you ready? Yep. Got my camera sort of focused. I think it's plugged in anyway. You know what? We're gonna find out if that camera was in focus the whole time. Uh, soon enough. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> we, we Maybe. Hope so. <laughs> I, I hope so. Uh I don't know. I don't know how good Caden Live is, uh, but it might be good enough to handle that. So yeah, maybe. we'll see. We'll see. See, that's how I learn new things about Caden Live, which was a previous app focus at a at a certain point. It's right about the time I started using it. Um it it does all kinds of cool stuff. It does, it really does. All all kinds of cool. But this This app does uh, one cool thing anyway. Yeah, this is not about Caden Live. It's not about Caden Live. Get that, get that name out of your mouth, at least for the next five minutes. Check it out. Here's what I want to tell you about. Because for the longest time, I used Transmission because it was very simple. Mm -hmm. The interface was simple. You click on something and it immediately just goes into Transmission. What is this Transmission thing you say? Um, it's a BitTorrent client, but we're not talking about Transmission either. Nope. We're talking about Fragments. Hmm. Now, what is Fragments? Same thing. It's just the same thing. It's, it's, it's the same, just a different interface, right? It is, but but here's the coolest thing about it. It's made um, it's made by a gnome dev for gnome, 
mm-hmm. and it works in the wider it, it it integrates with the wider desktop environment as well. I mean, if you're on the QT, I mean, okay, hopefully you got the right gnome theme in there to make stuff look well, right. You know what you can do is you can install it as a flat pack because most of those gnome applications they're also available as a flat pack. Yes, that's how I got fragments. So it's a torrent app. That's what it does. It's Linux first, probably Linux only. It's free. Mm-hmm. It's free and it's open source. Right? Mm-hmm. Right? Free isn't free and free isn't beer. Yeah, you, yeah. You got me there. Yeah. Those are I those go. are in my price range. Got them. I know, right? But you can always donate. So, you know, please do. Mm-hmm. If you find a good uh, if you find a good use for it. Um, which I mean <laughs> what else do you do but download Linux ISOs with BitTorrent clients? Well, those are the things I download. Yeah, I don't download anything else other than that. Well, yeah, of course. And 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 I'm actually being honest. <laughs> that's that's actually how I use fragments. Um, anytime a new ISO comes out, like the elementary ISO or... Well, I do download a lot of ISOs, so there's no doubt about it, right? So, I mean, we're testing one a month, so at least one a month. You know who didn't have a torrent link? Zorin. They didn't have a torrent link nah. for me to download and contribute a little bit of my bandwidth to help out the community. Because uh, that's how I use it. I, I will download all, oh, oh uh, the Flutter version of the Impish Idri uh, mm-hmm. thing didn't have a torrent. Otherwise, I would have done that too. Yeah, but well, that makes sense. That's the deal, right? I that That's why I need a torrent client so that I can ease up on the servers that are providing a free service mm-hmm. to me, right? Um, and just go with the torrent side anyway. Plus, the torrent is auto self-checking. It is. So that you is a you great thing for ISOs. It really is. It, I can't stress how important that is and how many mm-hmm. times I've had someone come into the support channel, you know, saying, It's ah, broken! This, this thing didn't work. And, well, it only takes one bit to mess all of that up. Yep. One exactly. bit. Exactly. That, that one bit on the right spot just... Mm-mm-mm. So seriously, seriously, mm-hmm. download your Linux ISOs using fragments. Give if you can, if you're not on a metered connection. Right. Give back a little bit and help other people download this because that's how torrents work. And, you know, that's so I hear that a lot. Right. I mean, how can I contribute? This is one way. Sure. It's not a huge way, especially on a release day like today for the Fedora folks. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Yeah. It, it's not even a noticeable way. Right. No one's going to no one's going to get on top of the rooftop and shout your name off the rooftop because they don't really see a name. They see, I don't know, DHT or an IP address or something like mm-hmm. that. Right. Yeah. But but that's the deal. Right. Uh, you know, you get to be an unsung hero. And I, I kind of like I kind of like that. Right. It's a good way to contribute. Definitely help out others to get a hold of the thing that you like. Mm-hmm. Anyway, will you use it? I mean, yeah, I, I'm going to I'm just going to because I already have it. I'm already using it. So I'm just keep using it. It's fantastic. Dan, what do you think? Well, I, I mean, I installed it. Um, I like that it has a nice, simple interface. Uh, it does the thing that you need it to do. Um, but I'll probably keep it around and keep it in the rotation. Yep. I, I you know, I, I definitely want to give it some more testing. I mean, I don't, I don't download a ton, but I do download some. So it's, it's, it's a, right. Yeah, I, I, I want to give it a little more test. Yep. I mean, the only thing I really do with it, uh, so because there, there are a few features, but I think. You know, for someone that doesn't particularly care about getting into the weeds of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how your torrent performs, um, you know, put a little upload cap on it, download cap on it or something like nice. that. Keep it, keep it, you know, within the range, not not affecting anything else. It supports that kind of stuff. So, right. 
Give it a shot if you haven't, if you do uh, the torrent thing. Coming up on the next episode, we will be wrapping up our thoughts on Zorin OS. Oh, man. And I've got a lot. I've got a lot. You I'm not going to tell you why I have a lot. I have mm. a lot of thoughts. Um, but it's, it's, it's because it's familiar mm. that I have a lot of thoughts. I, okay. I, I felt like going into it that I wouldn't. Um, but, but, uh, just it, I have a lot to compare it to. I guess we'll put it that way. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. I will say it's surprising. Um, you got to give it a fair shake. It's, it's not what you would think. Um, you know, it's not. So definitely got to give it a try. Uh, I've been enjoying it. I think, uh, I got one more thing I want to try though. I've got this ancient, uh, Chromebook. Right. Oh, we talked about oh, this. Oh, yes, and, we and, did. And um, let me let me drag this thing out here. Like it's oh, it's my just goodness. You know, it's ancient, right? It's been beat up. It's it's mm-hmm. it's been battered. It's it's the it's the very first Chromebook ever made. The CR forty eight. It was like a prototype. What? Yeah. Hold on, that's cool. The yeah. very first one. It was a prototype. Yeah. Wow. Okay, I'm, I'm Well, I mean, this this particular one wasn't the very first one probably, but it was the very first model they ever made for Chromebook. I see. Well, no, uh, no, I totally get that. It uh, that's impressive. I'm impressed. I'm more impressed now than I was a couple of weeks ago. Just wow, cool. Yeah, so it's got the Atom N455, which is a very mm-hmm. underpowered uh processor. Um mm. yeah. So, yeah. I'm going to try the light version of Zorn on that just to see see how that goes so that'll that'll be an interesting test and to follow you up i'm gonna do the same thing i have an hp stream with a celeron mm-hmm. i'll get back to you on that uh but it is a celeron and it is not it's not fast yeah it is exactly not fast. that's this thing they're, they're probably very similar right mm-hmm. so if i can get zorin on zorin light on that thing right. Um, yeah, we'll give you an idea of that because that's xfce underneath and yep. uh zorin core is gnome underneath right? it is and so i've okay. been doing gnome on my my regular laptop and i'm going to do light on on my little chromebook and just kind of give that a a spin probably not i won't call it a performance test or a review but uh i'll let you know if it works i mean honestly on low-powered machines like this if it works well i mean that's good enough <laughs> exactly anything that works there is pretty good <laughs> pretty much <laughs> so that's coming up next episode and uh Hopefully you've been following along and, and you can let us know in Telegram, Matrix, Discord, wherever. Uh, yeah. All the slashes. All the slashes. Let us know how you've been making out to. So thank you, everybody, for listening and for your support. Uh, Leo, where can we find you? You can find me at Leo Chavez on Twitter. Okay. You can find me at KC2BEZ on Twitter. Join us in two weeks when we return to the Linux user space. Do you normally install devs? Is that a thing that you do? Yeah, probably. More more than not. I, I have... I have a bunch of flat packs. I have a bunch of devs. I have a bunch of snaps. I mean, whatever's easiest. I like the snaps, kind of, because they update themselves. Mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. to think about that, and that's sometimes good. Maybe that's sometimes bad. I don't know. 
I apparently used the Deb. Which is a good thing, I think. Uh, it's the fastest way to get your updates. And I mean, not that they happen a lot, but when they do and you don't have the flat pack yet, it's like, no, you can't log in. That's no. Uh uh. Yeah. Maybe I have a flat pack. Let me look. Yeah, it looks like it's snap. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Maybe I need to but change But it's got that. all the plugins or something, right? No, that's OBS. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Ah, uh, man. No, technically, um, if this part ends up in the show, I love Snap. Snap is great. It's amazing. It's 100%. It's great. It's awesome. 